You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 91, and I hope you remain safe and healthy out there. So we're rolling into December, and like many people, I have a big block of family time coming up. So I am pushing to get this episode finished and out sooner rather than later when I may not have as much time. So I wish you all a wonderful holiday season and, uh, of course, peace on earth for everyone. And uh, be safe out there on the roads, y'all. So before we get to the episode, just a little bit of show business. I want to say thanks once more to all the folks who support the show. And by support the show, I mean monetarily. You know, the systems and services and tools that it takes to operate a podcast over a long haul are expensive. And uh, what your contributions mean is that I don't have to cover all the expenses out of my pocket. And as a retiree on a fixed income, I really appreciate that. Supporting the podcast is fairly easy to do, and there are Several ways to do so. You can use Patreon or you can make a one-time donation. And I will tell you more about how to do that at the end of the show. So here's an episode that I have been waiting for, and I'm sure many of you feel the same way. Uh, Hans Breuer and his wife, Lisa, live on the island of Taiwan, along with their two boys, uh, Carl and Hans Jr. If you spent any time at all perusing the old field herp forum, you're probably familiar with Hans' posts about his escapades herping around uh, that island paradise. And if you're not, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, catch up. Uh, we'll wait. So Hans has parlayed his adventures into two delightful books, uh, which we will cover in this episode, along with uh, many other interesting things. So let's get to my conversation with Hans. Oh, you know what? I, I'm going to start intro, but I got to make sure I pronounce your name right. It's it's Brewer, right? Is that correct? <laughs> And you, I can't blame you. I mean, I've been married to this lovely woman for 27 years, and she can still say my name. Uh, it's Breuer. Breuer? Yeah, as in B-R-O-Y-E-R, but it's a German R, so it's not Breuer. It's Breuer. But just, just, Breuer. Call, me, just call me Hans. <laughs> Hans Breuer. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll say Breuer once. That's good. That's good, yeah. Okay. Welcome to the show, Hans. Uh, hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Uh, I have wanted to have you on the show for a while. And uh, there's a good reason why I didn't do that right away, because I wanted to finish your second book so I could talk to you about your second book. And I, I bought it last summer, and I thought, okay, oh. i got to send an invite. Gotta get it. But I got stuck with it behind uh, another book uh, that I wanted to finish because I, I got stuck with that book in COVID. It's um, uh, David Quammen's uh, The Tangled Tree. Oh. So... A real important book, and it, it was really tough, and I struggled through it, and I got all the way through it, and then I picked up yours, and I thought, okay, well, now now I can invite him. I'll, I'll get it done in time. But I tell you, uh, to be perfectly honest, I haven't quite finished the second book, and yet I want to talk about it. I desperately want to talk about the second book. So uh, I don't want to be one of those guys who pretends he's read the book, you know. So not quite all the way through it yet. So anyway, uh, so let me let – me, um, let me kind of bring this back. Um, uh, I first kind of 
got to know you or, or knew of you and, and experience uh, uh, your your writing back in the days of Field Herb Forum. Yes. Um, and you regaled us with uh, stories of uh, herping in uh, Taiwan. Yes. And uh, I, I just love those stories. You obviously have this uh, flair uh, for writing and uh, you're, you're uh, it's quite good. I just, I just love to read what you write because it's, um, it's very honest and natural. And uh, so your posts were great. And it, you just gave us this wonderful flavor of not only herping in Taiwan, but kind of living there and, you know, you know, just things like, well, like, you know, went through a bunch of kids in the van. We went and got snacks. Well, <laughs> what do we get for snacks? Well, we, we got uh, this and this and, and squid crisps and, yeah, and all these right. exotic things I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So that was always fun. So Well, Feedback Forum was actually uh, the platform that <clears throat> brought me to write my first book. Because, as you said, I, I posted all these little stories. And eventually, I posted a story about a pangolin, which the neighbors had, had found somewhere. They knew about our addiction to weird animals, and they so brought it over and said, maybe you can do something with it and put it back in the forest or whatever. So, and I was like, hey, it's the Pope Catholic, you know. And uh, <clears throat> and I, I wrote this little story about it, and then someone said, your style is quite Durellian, as in Gerald Darrow, um, you, who was was um, in the 50s and 60s, is a British conservationist and... Uh, also, in the 50s, he was an animal catcher. Back in those days, that was still a thing. And ah. yes, and he wrote stories. Uh, his big goal was to, to open a zoo, which the, the goal of which was to, uh, to, to breed uh, rare and uh, animals close to extinction, which eventually he did on the island of, uh, was that um, one of the Channel Islands? And, uh, oh yeah, it, like Guernsey, like Guernsey or something. Uh, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting which one. But but anyway, um, he famously said that if it wasn't for the money, he wouldn't let anybody into the zoo. Uh, but in, <laughs> in the first in the first twenty years, he wrote books to finance that. And he was a, he was British, and he had this really really acerbic British strain of humor, and he was just wonderful. And when I was eight years old, I had all his books, uh, the ones that were out at the time. And he was just my, my biggest idol. And eventually, by the age of like, I don't know, 12 or something, I got into other stuff, and blues guitar and what have you. And uh, and eventually, uh, in 2000, 2010 or 11, when I put this story on Filter Forum and somebody said, that's the Darrellian, like the style I'm writing. I was like, oh my God, Gerald Darrell, I haven't heard, I haven't thought about him in like 25 years or something. So I went out and... Being the maniac that I am, I just bought every single book that he had written from when I was 12 until his death in, uh, in, the, in the late 80s and just read them all in one setting. And while I was doing that, um, I also put together the book because the person who um, I think was Warren, I forgot his name, Warren somebody, and uh, he also said, it's, that's the real, you should really put all these stories together into a book. And I'm being as green as a spring on, you know, about uh, literally, you know, literature and, and the, the book market and everything else. They all can do that. I got two thirds of it already anyway. I just have to make up the rest of it. Well, put together. And uh, 
Taiwan being not a tropical island, at least to the northern half. So we have some kind of winter here, which is like now we have uh, 15 degrees outside, which means we have uh, to wear long pants and, and all these horrible things. And so anyway, the snakes are underground. So I had three months. Yes. I had three months and I just hacked that book out in, in three months and I found a, a publisher, which you might be... Uh, which you might know, it's it's uh, it's American publishers and one man show called Coach Whip Publications. And ah, yes, yeah, and they 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 specialize in books about herpetology, arachnology, and cryptozoology. The last two words I hadn't known seen before in my life. So <laughs> <laughs> cryptozoology just uh, is is uh, the pseudoscience about animals that might or might not exist, like the Yeti, the uh, Loch Ness monster, stuff like that. Sure. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with those. I love oh, those yeah. stories. Yeah, right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I was like, so, so I just shopped around and nobody wanted the book, apparently. I mean, he wants to write, to read a book about somebody who runs through the forest in Taiwan and, and eats funny stuff and, and, and writes, uh, you know, things that he thinks is so humorous about snakes. But anyway, he loved it, and he didn't even give me an editor. He just said, "Okay, this, this is this is great." It just boom, and uh, so that came out in 2012. The uh, the Cobra hijacked my camera bag. As it's a called. Cobra hijacked my camera bag. Yes, based on a true yes. story. <laughs> did, did you read that? Oh yes, I oh, have yeah, it. I have it right here right. by my elbow. All right. Um, and um, I've I've read it a couple times, and. Um, it is um it is a book for field harpers. It is, yes. It is. Um and uh each chapter has it concerns itself with different once once you get into the introductions of how you got into all this mess, uh each chapter tells us about, you know, rat snakes and mm. uh cobras, uh or aka rice ladle snakes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> things like that. And uh so yeah, I have it, I've read it and uh it is a book for field herpers, and I, I really enjoy it. And I have to tell you, um, when I got the book, I, I guess the year it came out, or I was surprised to open it up on the first page of chapter one. There's a quote, and there's my name with it uh, <laughs> at the top of the page uh, about oh, what yeah. it means to be a field herper. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's Usually you're tired and muddy and lost, and, 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 and it was That's like, right. I think that was like – one of those one-off things you throw out there on a forum. And so I was really surprised to see that. I'm like, okay, well, I know I'm going to like this book. <laughs> yeah. Here I am on the first page. So, yeah, I like, I like uh, Thank you for that. <laughs> that works. <laughs> That's a good one. But yeah, that book, um, uh, you know, I, I made a few notes about that because uh, uh, the book kind of chronicles you coming at it from zero. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's we don't pick it up with, with Hans, the, the herp expert. We pick it up with Hans, the... Uh, what the heck are these and why are they cool? And <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. And how do I, you know? So you kind of take us through this whole thing where you figure out how to find things and how to, you know, how to be a herper, how to be a herper in Taiwan, how to, how to make that work for you. And, and that, I think that, uh, uh I think, uh, a lot of people out there can identify with that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think the, the, the origin story is always very often is, is the best part of all of it. If I jump in this and saying, I, Oh, here's <clears throat> this is me, the big, the big herping king. You know, I know, I know everything about Taiwan snakes, and uh, I don't know. People have questions. How, where, where did you start? 
you know, and I did start when I was very young. I wrote about that in this in this gigantic air raid bunker in Düsseldorf where I was born, and uh, where they had this kind of zoo-ish exhibition of, of fossils and minerals and and a bunch of reptiles too. And uh, I was totally fascinated by those. And I don't know, I started as again. It was something that I fell in love with when I was a kid, and then uh, other things got in the way. When I was a teenager, and then uh, just by chance, I met this guy, this herpetology professor here, and I had a photography club here in Taipei uh, about 2007, I think it was. And uh, he showed all these pictures pictures of snakes. And then I had been at the time, I had been here for like, I don't know, 25 years or something. And I live in the boonies. I live uh, at the foot of, of a mountain range, which is like the green lung of Taipei City. And I step out the back door, and there's the forest. There's the national park, and and yet uh, we went hiking all the time. And yet I had seen maybe like two snakes in twenty years. And this ah. guy comes up and shows us all these like National Geographic pictures of snakes, you know, picking bats out of the air in a cave and and eating birds and what have you. And I was like, after he's, he was done, he was this this short little middle aged very shy guy with a uh, he looked like he was still living in his mom's basement you know he was a <laughs> professor of herpetology of course he wasn't he had two children and it was sure. a giant giant in herpetology scene here in Taiwan but anyway so after his show I just went over and basically got grabbed him by lapels and said where do you take these pictures you know show me <laughs> and he said he said oh, okay are you interested in that okay uh, so next time I take my students up into the hills to look for snakes uh, you know you're welcome to come with us and that was the beginning of the end, basically. I love how so many people have this story where there's some kindly herpetologist <laughs> yeah, who, who takes pity on them. Yeah, right. Or maybe reacts to having their being, you know, picked up by the lapels or whatever. But uh, in other words, in, in, either way, they, they react in a kind manner and say, sure, I will, uh, I'll feed your passion for you. Sure. No, and they don't meet a lot of people who have passion for snakes, you know. I mean, I... I, t I give snake t talks about snakes. I've been giving them for like s until uh, since 2007, I think, mostly in schools here in Taiwan, but also for other uh, uh, organizations. Like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was I gave a talk about snakes at the German embassy or the quasi embassy here in Taipei City, and they were all adults. There were no children this time, and my shows are usually more directed at children with a lot of silliness and, and uh, you know chaos and what have you. Uh, but I was astonished to, to stand in front of 65 adult people, all of them intelligent people, you know, who asked me the dumbest questions about snakes. And like Gerald Durrell said once, um, what do you say, when, it come, when the topic of snakes comes up, uh, people will spout more nonsense than a whole room full of politicians. And <laughs> it was... That's what it is. That's why I do this ed educational stuff because people don't know anything about it because they're afraid of them. So right, yeah. And so you come out with this book, um, which uh, I, I know a lot of my friends have this book too. It's you know it's um, one of those things that oh we you know it's got to be in your library. Uh, <laughs> it's a book about field herping. That's nice to hear. Um, and uh, and so, but I was also just happy to have uh, to be present for the backstory. To see you, you know, write about these things on, on a forum and, and sort of uh, 
entertain us there, you know, prior to that. And I, I have, you know, this is the point where I tell you that I went to Taiwan to go herping because of you and your posts and your book. Um, well, and you. unfortunately, by the time I got to Taiwan, you were not there. You had moved to Borneo. I was just about to come back. Yeah, that's right. Did you go yeah. with Bill? Yeah. So I, uh, I went with um, uh, Kevin Caldwell. Oh, yeah. And Bill Murphy, uh, yeah. two fine gentlemen. Yes. Uh, shout out to both of them. They're they're wonderful guys. And um, they uh, Kevin, out of the goodness of his heart, went to Thai, <laughs> said, let's go to Thai. Well, I'll take you there. You know, I'll get the car and all that because, uh, you know, I don't I don't have any Chinese or anything. So I, I he just handled everything for me so that it worked. And then, of course, Bill came along, too. And uh, I had a grand old time with those guys. We went up into the mountains as, as one does. And, uh, you know, of course, this is it's as we're doing this activity, it, it's all your posts and your accounts of finding snakes up in the mountains are, are coming back to me. Of course, we're finding we, <laughs> we find the little uh, the habu, uh, Mukra squamata. We find uh, one of those in a drain pipe guarding its eggs, oh. uh, which was mind blowing. Uh, got a. Um, Taiwan beauty snake and uh, a stinking goddess up there, uh, so, you know, and a coral snake and snail eaters and so on and on it went. It was great, and of course, and then the 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 the, uh, the cherry on top is uh, you know we got a uh, mandarin rat snake oh. on the road. Oh wow! So one, uh, yeah, Which I have never seen in the wild, only in, in drawers. Yeah, so um, I. I don't know if I could ask for a better trip. It was it was uh, amazing and wonderful. Probably the only way to make it better is if I had had a chance to to hang out with you up there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, you're already gone. But uh, I have to tell you, that's what inspired me to go there, and uh, I'm glad I did because it was just an amazing experience. So, well, so glad to hear that. Uh, now, basically, Taiwan is a country that nobody really knows. I mean, I tell. I mean, my father used to have a shop for model trains and his customers were mostly like middle-aged guys. And many of those were business people. And many of those business people went to Taiwan all the time to do business, you know, buy stuff and whatever. And then when he would tell them that his son lived and had been living in Taiwan for decades already, they go like, what is he doing in Taiwan? It's just full of dirty, dirty cities. Uh, Well, they're not really dirty, but uh, they're boring and they're ugly. But the thing is that the, 65% 65% of Taiwan is mountains, and 72% is forest. And they, of course, do business there. They only see Taipei City, maybe Kaohsiung or Taichung or whatever, everything just down the West Coast. But then when you tell people that Taiwan is a country as big as the Netherlands or as small as the Netherlands, and it has a mountain range that goes up to 4,000 meters, and we have 256 mountains above 3,000 meters. I mean, imagine that. And it's just, <laughs> nature's just mind-blowing here. And this is one of the reasons why I actually wrote that book to, to, to bring Taiwan's natural beauty to the world. You know, it's, of course, it's mostly for field purpose, but still, it's, it's a small audience, but it's an audience. Yeah, but you, you, you put enough of uh, other things in the book. It's, it's, not, it's not just dry travelogue of, well, then we went here and I saw this, and then we went here and I saw that. Uh, you know, you blend in your own personal experiences in a way to make us uh, make us happy because 
it isn't just um it isn't just the finding of the things it's the things that happen to you along the way you know mm. the uh there's a, a bit in there where you're you're photographing a um one of the little mock vipers uh yeah. called Verulentus. Yeah, Samodynastes, <laughs> right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Simon Samodynastes uh Polverulentis, which I am familiar with. Um you're photographing or you're trying to photograph one of them, you keep getting interrupted by <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the local the forestry guys interrupted you and yeah. some hikers and maybe a, a guy <laughs> who is like a like a gang guy yes, that's interrupted right. you and and so you never actually got a chance to take a photo of it no. because you're too busy explaining to everybody what the snake was and how it was harmless and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I just I got, just got a kick out of that story. And until the snake, when I, eventually, until when everybody was, everybody was gone, by that time, the snake was gone as well. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sometimes it's a little tired. It's a little tiring to uh, try to educate the civilians when you've got more important <laughs> things to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what we what's that's what we do it for. I mean, that I get the biggest conflict with birders because birders don't do hands-on stuff. They don't grab the birds and put them on a on a pretty cherry tree and take pictures of them. You know, so yes. it, for them it's all inside you and uh, uh, just taking animals and put them somewhere else to take pretty pictures of them. Most of them that really gets the goat, and and I've, I've found it in Malaysia as well as in Taiwan. And I'm always saying, look. I'm, I'm, we're dealing with a with a family of animals that has been reviled, and and let's say just ostracized for for thousands of years, and uh, I just want to show people that not only they are important and part of the the the, the natural web and what have you, but also they're pretty, and to yeah. show them the prettiness of these animals, I have to take pictures, and if the snake has to suffer for six minutes. Because they're putting a hat on it and they take it and they go away again and then the snake runs off and they, put, and they pull it back with snake snake. Well, then so be it. You know, it's it's for the for the greater good of his tribe, so to speak. I, right. I'm pretty unapologetic for that. You never know when you might save some other snake from the shovel yeah. because of some yeah. something you did. Exactly. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of us uh, feel the same way. It's like, well, yeah. you know, we. We don't uh, we don't do things you know we we respect the animal and we don't uh, uh, do anything to really abuse the animal. We do detain it and hold it a little bit, but that's that's also to me that's also you know one of the benefits of of being attracted to herps. I mean, you you can't hold an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> the eagle may hold you, but you cannot hold the eagle. Yeah, but you can true. hold a little snake or a turtle or a frog, and you can mm. you can look at it up close, and you can turn it over and see what its belly looks like, and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, which you know, uh, if I was a birder, I'd feel a little cheated. Yeah, but I mean, there there are snakes that you only can photograph inside. I mean, any python taller longer than three meters is something you don't pick up and put it in a pretty cherry tree. You know, that's that's <laughs> that's where all that ends. It's just. Photograph it where it is because the, 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 that snake makes the rules. Yes. And the cobra. Yeah, well, cobras, you can handle them. Unless it's the king cobra, that's different. That's really too big. Yeah. So each, each chapter is, you have a chapter about rat snakes, which I also found um, very exciting. The, the Taiwan beauty snake was one of my lifetime achievement targets. It's a snake I've been wanting to see since I was... 12. Yeah, it has that name for um, a reason. They're really pretty. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I saw one, a pair of them at the zoo when I was a kid and it was like, what would it take for me to see these? Apparently it took 50 years and <laughs> 50 years and a plane ticket, but, uh, and, a, and a lot of luck, but, and some, and some good guys to help me. But, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, you know, the phenomenal thing. But, um, one of the things I get a kick out of too is, uh, is some of the, the names, uh, you know, we have. We have uh, what we call, I guess, you know, English names or Americanized names for many, many herps and, uh, you know, rat snakes and things like that. Um, and uh, I, I like so, some of the Chinese names for things like the, like the calling a cobra, the the rice ladle snake. Is that mm. uh, because it kind of resembles a, the hood kind of resembles a, like the, the, the spoon portion of a ladle, I guess. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. But actually, I might uh, to to, to uh, it's it's not that's not a Chinese not it's not a Mandarin expression it's it's Taiwanese okay it's it's uh, the Taiwanese dialect so oh okay uh, okay yeah, okay you yeah. have to understand that uh, the Chinese we speak here in, in in Taiwan the Mandarin is quite different from uh, from from the from mainland China let's say um, if if I were if I, Somebody from Europe goes to America to learn English, and he has two choices between, let's say, um, California, where they speak a more uh, neutral English, or let's say Louisiana or East Texas, you know. And keeping with this image, I've been in East Texas for the last 35 years. When I go, ah, okay. when I go to mainland China, I open my mouth, and after 20 seconds, people say, so you've been in Taiwan how long? Before they even know I have. You know, and it, it okay. there's so much vocabulary that I don't know and that they don't know. I have problems speaking with those people. And so Taiwanese is one of the, I think, 25 main uh, dialects of the Chinese language, like Cantonese and Shanghainese and what okay. have you. And, and only in Taiwanese, they are called, the cobras are called rice ladle. Uh, in, in any, you go anywhere to mainland China and say that to them, oh, well, we find, find a rice ladle in my toilet or whatever, and they, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Okay. Okay, well, thanks for cool setting name. me straight on that, yeah. Okay, that's cool. The other name I liked was the, uh, uh, for uh, the big-eyed rat snake. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. Which yeah. uh, I, I, ha- I had to write it down because I'd, I'd forgotten it. Uh, it. They call it the knife that crosses the mountain. Yeah, that's beautiful. Which, I mean, how, how poetic. Well, I mean... The, the word for pangolin is uh, wait, it's the armor that burrows through the mountain. Because it's an armored animal, right? The pangolin. Right. And it, it does actually make burrows to sleep in. And so, hence the name. Yeah, it's, the it's armor just, that burrows through the mountain. Yeah. Because technically it does burrow into the mountain. It does. It does. Yeah. yeah I mean, in, in Ger- the, the German name, we're not really poetic people, I guess. So, the German name for the pangolin is... Scale beast. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> How boring can you get, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I like the uh, the armor that burrows into the mountain. Is, uh, that's hard to beat. That's hard to beat. When when uh, I read about the knife that the knife that comes over the mountain, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to come up with some names for North American snakes that are equally <laughs> poetic. I, I, could, I could imagine. I only came it. up with one before I quit, and I, I, I call the uh, the North American rat snake, which is uh, Pantherophis obsoletus, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my name for that one was Death Comes to the Chicken Coop. <laughs> <So>. Beautiful. 
That, that, That's and the I name retired. of your next book, I hope. <laughs> Death comes to the chicken coop. Yeah. No, but, but so. seriously, I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the uh, Native American tribes have uh, more interesting names for snakes. Yes. They must have. Yeah, and we kind of stomp all over that. Or, or no, we, you know, we also kind of um, uh, absorb a lot of that stuff too, right? You know? No. Um, so, you know, end up with Mojave and things like that that right. end up as part of the lexicon. So, um, it's it's kind of funny to to understand. It's fun, uh, funny to see how people focus on different aspects of a snake. Yeah. Uh, from one culture to another. Yeah, that's right. Not necessarily the the bitey end either. It could be something mm. completely different. So. Yeah. So fascinating. So that book that book came out in 2012, and uh, right. uh, this this is it's sort of, you have another book that just came out this year. That's you. Yeah. Uh, which is called a Greenhorn Naturalist in Borneo. Right. Um, which I have. Uh, Endeavor to finish, but not quite yet. But uh, I'm I'm hooked. I'm hooked, man. I'm in it. Um, but uh, I think uh, it's kind of funny because of, of the sort of the different timelines involved here. The the book, uh, the, the Greenhorn and Nat, Naturalist in Borneo, is because you 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 and your family moved to Borneo. Yes. Uh, and I think it's. Partially because uh, it was a good move for your kids, education-wise, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that was the official but, explanation. Yes. And uh, <laughs> as we all know, the, there's the official explanation, and then there's the real explanation. Right. And the real explanation is that you are nuts about uh, Nepenthes. That's right. Carnivorous plants. The Pe- pitcher plants. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some herbs, too, at that time. Uh, well, the herbs came as I... Also described in that book, it was uh, I had been I had been uh, growing pitcher plants on the roof of my garage for like five years or something, and then uh, in two thousand seven, I what how did that work? Wait, in two thousand seven, I went to Borneo for the first time in my life for a conference on these plants, and that Southeast Asia is something I would never really been on my radar. When I came to Taiwan as a twenty five year old guy uh I, I did stops in between between germany and taiwan i went to, first went to nepal and then went to thailand but i didn't go there for the trekking i went there for the weed smoking you know so uh <laughs> i know seriously and, and southeast asia so was uh, never really on, on, on my radar and uh, once i got settled in taiwan the chinese people can be a very um let's say sometimes they are uh, not very um politically correct and uh, there are opinions about people in Southeast Asia basically there's a bunch of little brown people who don't have their shit together so that's uh, ah. yeah and and f- somehow I got that was one of the reasons why I never thought of so why would why don't I travel to Malaysia or why don't I look at Indonesia but, but I, said, nah, I don't know I said, I'd rather go somewhere else Japan would have you so eventually anyway long story short 2007 they're in in the Malaysian part of Borneo, in the state of Sarawak, in the city of Kuching, there was a, a pitcher plant conference for three or four days. And I said, I have to be there, you know, because pitcher plants were, I don't have hobbies, I have obsessions. And, and I was like, this is, this is something I have to do. So I went there, and after three days of conference, they took us, the, the organizers, they took us into the jungle. <laughs> and they showed us pitcher plants, I mean, real pitcher plants. 
I, I, I was pretty good at growing them in my greenhouse, and uh, I was quite successful, but the stuff I saw there, I think I in the book I, I, I said, like, the it was a comparison, like, the wild ones and the potted ones in my in my greenhouse were, like, Timberwolves or Chihuahuas, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are, these are um, creepers, these are uh, vines, and they are get they get so big they can strangle into entire trees, and then are just full of these gigantic pictures and all that. And I just remember seeing this for the first time. I was like, "Oh my god, this is how they really look in the wild." I mean, I've seen big pictures of it, but they don't do that justice. And basically, when I came back after a week in Borneo, I climbed up to my greenhouse, you know, to see my three hundred fifty little babies, and I opened the door, and I was like. Nah, ladies, I don't think so. I, um, I don't love you anymore. Seriously. Oh. And, and I just said, at that moment, I was just, I, I got to go to Borneo. I have to live there, where the pitcher plants are behind every freaking bus stop. And bigger and nicer and, and more beautiful than I can ever grow them here. So, and... Uh, it's, it's as if you ascended to another level. Yeah. You know, before you, you were trying to capture nature in a bottle... Yeah, exactly. Now that's, that's good. you yeah. want to be in the bottle with the nature. Yeah, that's that's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So eventually, I found a, an excuse to to move down there because uh, our children were about to finish elementary school here in Taiwan, and we wanted to put them into an, in an inter, into an international school. But they, those are like everywhere in the world: the American school, the German school. It's like <clears throat> about fifteen hundred, two thousand US per month, and I have two children. And Oof. I, I I can't swing that, you know. And then I found this uh, school in in Kuching and in, in Sarawak, uh, which had been founded by the British in, in the 1940 in 1945 or something. Had a British curriculum, and cost like a fraction of that. And so I said to my wife, who's Taiwanese, and uh, pe basically every parent in East Asia wants the children to learn English, and if possible in a native uh, native English uh, environment. So I said, let's go to Malaysia. The kids can get the English school, uh, you know, and they pull her. I didn't have to say anything more. She goes, okay, let's go. We didn't, yeah, I said, okay, let's let's go in, in half a year, look at the town and have a test run, see if you like it. She goes like, no, that, that's just waste of money. <laughs> when it's time, <laughs> we go there, end of story. <laughs> and I was, okay. and four, four years later, when the kids were ready, uh, we actually went down there and uh, we spent uh, the first four weeks in a backpacker hostel in a, in a giant room with all of us. And we're, every day we went out and scoured the newspapers for, for places to rent and what have you. We went to the school, which I had organized before. And uh, yeah, and then we just stayed there, basically. Awesome. And so the kids liked it, too. Oh, the kids loved it. I mean, the thing is that um, Kuching is in the vicinity, let's like say, half an hour drive to of uh, three national parks. And these national parks are remnants of old um, rainforests. Uh, the, of course, Borneo is not what it was 60 years ago when really 80% of the island, which is bigger than Texas, second biggest island in the world, um, when 80% of Borneo was forest. Now it's like 20 or something, but it's it's really, yeah. really grim. Uh, 
so oil palm plantations and monocultures and stuff like that. Everything you hear is true. And in Germany, we have this saying, you're looking at something with one crying and one laughing eye. And that was my, the whole nine years that we were there, every day for me was like that. Because you drive somewhere to, 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 to these national parks or to some proper jungle. But before you get there, you have been, you have been driving through oil palm plantations for two hours, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but still, the national parks are there. And basically, every night we went out snake hunting. And every weekend we went to one of those parks and spent the weekend there and looked for whatever was there, you know. And my focus, which had been on carnivorous plants and snakes only, really, really diversified within the first year. I mean, uh, birding, for instance, at that time was, I just always viewed it as a hobby for middle-aged fat people. Uh, <laughs> Who, uh, who don't have the balls to play with snakes. You know, that's, that was my <laughs> arrogance in those days. But then I, I, met this, I met this Canadian ornithologist in a park, and uh, I had been looking for dracos, for these little uh, flying uh, lizards. Oh, yeah. Tiny little lizards that can spread their ribs into wings. And that's something I've always wanted to see. I was like on my, on my you know, first to see king cobras and dracos. That's what things I wanted to see first in Borneo. And I knew they were in the parking lot uh, of this little this little jungle park, right close to my house. The parking lot was surrounded by uh, by tall palm trees, and these the dracos they spend their lives pretty much running up and down trees and lapping up ants. And I'd been trying unsuccessfully to find any of those. So I met this guy, an elderly, white-haired. Uh, very gentle ornithologist from Canada. And I told him what I was looking for. And he hands me his Swarovskis and says, ah. well, why don't you have one of these? And I said to him, <laughs> before I could control myself, I said, I don't want to look like a birder. <laughs> Without totally trampling his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but he said, no, no, seriously, man, you need binoculars. I could, could see if we can do something. First of all, I had never had, I'd never looked through a pair of binoculars that cost $4,000. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just the fourth dimension. It's I, I, absolutely incredible. Um, and of course, I look up and down the palm trees within like three minutes or something, I've seen two Dracos. Yeah. And <laughs> he says, and he says to me, I, I really wonder why why we don't why you don't sleep with a pair of binoculars under your pillow. I mean, everything in here in Borneo is in the business end of the rainforest. And up there in the canopy, the orchids, the uh, many of the nepenthes, you know, the, all, all kinds of animals, bugs, what have you, blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short, a year later, I had um I had I bought a size a pair of size binoculars uh and uh yeah, it's just one of those things you, you know, cry once and enjoy for the rest of your life. It's just incredible. Right. Because uh, apart from the birds, he really got me into birding. And, and, and he said to me, oh, you're, you're a herper, right? So um, you know that birds are like the dinosaurs that made it? Like, you bastard. <laughs> and then he, said, then he said to me, you know, just to drive the knife a little bit further in, Look at a newborn chick and tell me it doesn't look like a tyrannosaur. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so I, I added birding to my to my natural hobbies. And eventually 
bugs came into it. I mean, seriously, yeah. the, gecko, the geckos in my air conditioner and the, must, the, 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 the cockroaches under my fridge, everything's interesting in Borneo. And if you live there and you only concentrate on snakes and the pitcher plants, then you waste your life. And eventually, yeah. so yeah, that's, everything is just fantastic. And that's, uh, that's what I'm getting from yeah, this book is that um, you started out with one goal or one thing in mind and it, it's just sort of, you just, uh, your mind has sort of been open like a, you know, with a can opener or something and yeah. all this stuff comes pouring into it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I, maybe that's natural, but uh, maybe you have to run into a nice Canadian uh, ornithologist once in a while to, to uh, <laughs> you know, to break the barriers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Hats off to that guy. Oh, he's, he's just incredible. He visited me in, in Taiwan. Uh, he has a, his wife is, 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 uh, is from Sarawak. She's a politician, uh, a retired politician. And they, uh, they came to Taiwan for, uh, for a cruise in March. And I took him up the hill here for, to bird in the middle of the day, which is not really a good time for birding at all. And he showed me a bird that I had never seen before that I knew it was up there. And then he showed me one other bird that I had never even heard of. And then all in the, like within 10 miles of my house, the, the guy's just incredible. Um, yeah. We, we need people like that in our lives. Like this, this herpetologist, the Taiwanese one, you know, so people will give you a little push and then. Yeah. Yeah. But you also have to be open to it. You have to be yes, open to the yes. new experiences. I mean, talk, skinks. Skinks, I mean, as uh, uh, much as I love herpetology and herbs and everything, skinks are like to me, they will never ever be, well, uh, that's what I thought many years ago, they will never be more to me than snake food. You know, skinks are just fucking boring, and, and sorry, but, but uh, they are. So, and one day, this guy contacts me, uh, a German hobbyist, uh, and who was, he was in, in, in a construction or something like that. He traveled the world for his company, and as he did that, he took pictures of all the skinks he could see everywhere. And he, he went to all these different places, uh, like tiny little islands in the South Pacific to, to see skinks and this and that. And he was Ooh. working on an encyclopedia on the world's skinks. And so he said to me, uh, you know, I'm coming to Borneo. Uh, would you be able to take me around and uh, we'll see some skinks? I said, oh, hell yeah. And he says, uh, I pay you for it. I said, no, okay, I'm, we're all herpers, you know. <laughs> This yeah. time, I don't take the money. But I was prepared for a very, very boring jungle walk. I came out of the jungle thinking skinks are the best thing ever, you know, <laughs> since, since anything you can think of. It's just because he had so many stories about these animals and how in, how in Sri Lanka there's a skink species that lives in groups and dies in groups. And they have these huge mounds of, of cadavers and mummified dead bodies, which... Uh, had been piling up for the last 200 years or something. Seriously, because what? like elephants, they, yeah, they, you got to look that up. I have to find the story about that. They go to the same place in the, in the same cave to die, and they die on top of the other dead bodies. And it's like, wow, that's incredible. And What in the... Yes, uh, seriously. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, wow. yeah, skates, you know. And uh, then he, he, felt, he told me the stories where he... Um, went to this little national park in oh, somewhere in Nauru or something like that, some, some South Pacific island with this, with this guide. And the guide says, okay, the skinks we have here, they're up there in the palm trees. And, uh, and he says, can I climb up and get one to take pictures? And his guide says, no, 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 strict, you know. 
uh, we have very strict laws here and they're totally protected. And well, he did it anyway. And so he climbed the palm tree with a with a guide on the ground screaming and yelling. <laughs> and he went up <laughs> and picked up the skink. And now comes the kicker. The skink is like two and a half feet long. It's like the oh. biggest skink in the world. And it's arboreal. And he took that thing, it, it, it took it down from the palm tree to photograph it on the ground, getting really, really nastily scratched up from, you can imagine the claws they have. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I, as, I, as I said, I came out of the jungle books like, oh, my God, skinks. They're, they, I, I think they're cooler than snakes. You know, <laughs> It's just you have to be led to these things. Somebody has to explain it to you. Anything yeah, is and you have to. Everything you have to catch their excitement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Wow. So uh, how many years did you guys live on Borneo? Nine. Until, the, until your children's education was? Yeah, p- pretty much. Uh, to a point? Our older son, he, he, he graduated in uh, oh, 2018, I think, and I went to Australia to, uh, to, to apprentice as a French-style chef. And the younger mm. kid and the, the, our younger son, he stayed for another two years, I think, and uh, then we went back because it's a couple of things. I mean, um, uh, we're not getting younger, and I have uh, a resident certificate, a resident certificate here in Taiwan, which means I get free healthcare, and the healthcare yeah. in Taiwan is the best in the world. I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I, even better than Germany. I mean, in Germany, you have to go if 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 you're not. Don't just, you know, let's say, go to the doctor with your head under your arm, uh, you know, have something really, really nasty. Then you will have to wait for a couple of weeks for, for uh, ah. an appointment. And here it's just, it's cheap, uh, it's immediate, it's, it's great. So that's one of the things where we came back. Of course, my, my, my wife's parents, they weren't getting any younger. She's the ah. only girl. And uh, yeah. Sure. And sure. I understand that completely. Yeah, but the boys, the boys learn some English along the way. Ah, right? The boys' English better than mine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, because... you're, you, you know, where did where did you pick up English? I mean, you 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 came to you came to Taiwan to learn uh, Chinese, Andrew. Chinese, right? Yeah, the the Taiwanese, let's say. Well, uh, um, I, I, I got a when I was fourteen. I, you're probably in the generation who remembers this man. I saw Johnny Winter on television, on German television. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the next day, I went out uh, next door to the Yugoslavian family who lived next door. They had a dance band. And I bought a Fender Jazzmaster and I went out to a record store and bought all of Johnny's records. And then for the next Ooh. 12 years, I got really, really involved in blues guitar. Wow. And so doing that... Uh, my parents had a toy store and in, and I, where I worked for the two months before Christmas every year, every afternoon. and But they wouldn't pay me for it. But they always had these little things, you know. It's like my dad would go, hmm. When I was 18, he pulled out this ticket, Iceland Air. It was like one of the early uh, cheapo airlines. And he said, uh, didn't you always want to go to Chicago and check out the blues clubs? And I said, huh, yeah. And so he gives me this ticket in the middle of winter, like February, the best <laughs> best time yeah. to visit Chicago. <laughs> and, Indeed. And it wasn't even a school holiday. He covered for me. He told all my teachers I was sick. And uh, yeah, I am. I'm a dad. It's great. <laughs> Your dad so, is great. Yeah. And, and so basically before I was 21, 
I had been to Chicago, to Texas, same reason, blues pilgrimage, uh, to Japan and to China. And so uh, that worked for my English as well. I see. So did you get to see Johnny play? Oh, I got I got to see Johnny play in Europe a couple of times. Uh, okay. Oh okay. yeah, luckily. Nice. But uh, I had the uh, I had the uh, I got to see him play once. So right back in the eighties. So yeah, yeah. Oh, the, that was his best time in the, yeah. the heydays. It's not your English that what comes out in your your writing is your um, is Americanisms. Well, yeah, so to speak. You know, you well, you, you picked up. You have to stick with something. And see, yep. The reason why I write in English, not in German, is that uh, a good writer has to be a good reader first. So I am a single child, and I taught myself reading and writing when I was three, four years old, um, and various uh, things helped me there. And so when I was five years, I I was already able to read novels in German. Uh, So language was always... I was easy with that. So when it came to Taiwan, um, that was in 1989, where, where there wasn't a lot of internet around, and the, you had three TV channels. And so I just read a lot, like I had been doing in Germany before. But only now, it was English books, Chinese yeah. books as well, but mostly English books, because I, all my roommates were uh, you know, foreigners, most of them, like Kiwis and, and whatever. So for the last 35 years, 99% of what I've been reading was English books and a lot of them. So yeah. that's where all that comes from. Okay. Well, it comes, to, it shines in your writing. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, and, you know, I'm reading along cause I, 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 I've been sort of poking at this book for a while now, but I went back and looked at the beginning again. There, there, you have the, these quotes in the book, which just kind of blew my mind. You have, you have quotes from, uh, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is, which is cool, but you have also, you also quote Sonny Barger. Oh, hell yeah. Of the Hell's <laughs> Angels. I, full disclosure, <laughs> when, when my, my father was a motorcycle racer. Ah. And, he, and he broke his skull seven times oh before he was 25 years old. And me being the only child, he had a motorcycle shop he had inherited from his dad. And when I was three years old, I was sitting in his shop. On a 1500cc Munch Mammut, which at the time was the biggest motorcycle in the world, I go, and my father, all of a sudden, he had this vision of me going down in flames on the German Autobahn somehow. Uh. And the next month, he sold everything and he switched to toys because he Uh. didn't. Yeah, okay. But of course, uh, motorcycles being the boogeyman in our family for such a long time, the first thing I did when I came to Taiwan was buy a motorcycle, well, 150cc. <laughs> and uh, I was just really, really got into this whole thing. And uh, for some reason, I started to collect books about one uh, percenters, uh, you know, like uh, outlaw motorcycle clubs. Uh-huh. And uh, I was really interested in that. So I, <laughs> be it practical or not, but I have quite a lot of knowledge about these things. <laughs> so Sonny Barger... And this is something he said on television, actually, in 1965 on, 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 on a TV show. And I always thought this is such a cool... The guy's probably not intellectual, but he, he, he worked with this, uh, with this um, like an animal, with his instincts and stuff. I mean, the guy, he led the biggest motorcycle gang in the world for, and still until right. now, you know, he's still... Uh, no, wait. He wasn't a complete doofus. No, 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 no. 
And so I always found that quotes totally fascinating because he understood what he was talking about, but he just couldn't really express it. So yes. that's how I went in there. <laughs> There's also another quote from uh, from beat poet Allen Ginsberg, which is one, oh, of, that's great. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> things that Ginsberg said about the... Uh, don't what is uh, it? Don't hide the madness. Follow your inner yeah. light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great quote, and uh, yeah. I like that. And then to top it all off, you have you open a chapter with a quote from William Least Heat Moon hmm. uh, from a book called Blue Highways, which oh. is one of my favorite books. Oh, of all mine time. too. It's awesome. So I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's right I really here, need to way. talk. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, okay. Mine's in the other room. <laughs> So I knew I really had to talk to you when I saw that quote. It's like, oh man, I, this is this guy's. We're on the same wavelength with some things here. So, uh, so that was that was pretty cool. So I I uh, I enjoy I'm enjoying this book. I'm also enjoying you know the photographs. Uh, it it's got it's got herbs in it, but it's got all these other cool things. And you sort of the book is sort of like a love letter to Borneo. Mm, yeah. You know if if I yeah, you know I if I may be so bold. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, that's uh, one of those places on my list to visit one of these days. So not sure yeah. when, but hopefully soon. Yeah, but uh, step on it because it's not going to be there for much longer and the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I understand. You know, I've been places with palm plantations in the Thailand and uh, there's been some in Peru and things like that, too. So it, it's a, a shock mm. um, to the senses and it makes it makes you angry and upset and things. But uh I, I always try to remember a, a quote. It's from um, uh, Michael Cravens just brought it up the other day. It's a quote from, um, <laughs> this is terrible. The guy who wrote the Monkey Wrench Gang. Um, oh, yeah. Edward, uh, what's his, Edward Abbey. Edward Abbey. Yeah. And, and the quote basically is, you know, don't spend all of your time in anguish yeah. over the terrible things. Make sure you get out and make time to enjoy the things that are left, the things that still excite you, the things that are mm. still uh, out there for you. Make sure you would spend some time with that because you'll just burn yourself out. Yeah, you'll, just, right. you'll just burn yourself into a cinder if you spend all your time focusing on what's lost. Uh, you have to spend some time concentrating on what's still here. Interesting. I didn't know you said that because uh, you always struck me as a pretty radical activist. And uh, um, yeah, I guess you have to have something that keeps you afloat, you know, otherwise you just sink with the heaviness of it all. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure he f he practiced that as much as he should have, but he was <laughs> obviously aware of it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but anyway, uh, but uh, I I am enjoying these books. Uh, I wanted to uh, reread the first one again, the uh, the camera bag book I call it, uh, which is it, it, the title comes from a, a chapter where uh, a cobra sort of nonchalantly decided to take up residence, coiled up on your on your camera bag. And uh, Bill's it, camera bag, actually, yeah, but uh, or Bill's camera bag, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was that's quite interesting. The uh, we were by the roadside and photographing this cobra, and uh, and then Bill is, was at, that was two thousand seven, I think, and uh, Bill was the uh, I was the videographer. I took the I took the photos, and he, he took the the videos, and uh, <clears throat> so at one, uh, how did that how did that go? We went back to the. And we went back to the car to get something, and uh, yeah, I think you ran out of batteries or something. And the batteries, batteries were in the bag. Right. Or... Yeah, 
That's right. They ran out of batteries, and he and oh, of course, yeah. That's that's how it was. The the cobra had been had crawled on top of his camera bag and t- tied a knot with his body around the handles, like you know, like a very tight knot through the handles. And we were like, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, that's a really cool scene, you know. We take pictures of it, and Bill was just circling the animal and taking videos and blah. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh shit, my 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 uh. My batteries run out. I gotta get uh, new batteries. And I'm like, where are the cam, where are the batteries? I get them for you. And he says, oh, it's there in the bag. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a because I I started herping at the age of what 45 or something, and at that time I did not have any more that um, hormonal necessity of of picking up a rattlesnake and show it to my girlfriend. You know, like uh, ah. I, I, you know that. Uh, I think 80% of the of rattlesnake bites in America occur on young men between the age of 17 and 30 and between the finger and the elbow. That should tell you yeah. something. You know, they just grab them yeah. and you know, go into the desert with their girlfriends and then cut back, six pack, or what have you. Anyway, so I, I was an, a kind of like mature person and I had two children. Uh, we started herping together when they were like, I think, five and seven. And of course, I wanted to bring them back to their mother in one piece every night. So we had protocols. Yeah. I'm German. We like protocols. You know, don't ah. touch any, don't touch anything you don't know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, grabbing a cobra in, in whatever which way, just you know, because it has it, it has kind of hijacked your camera back, <laughs> was I, I really didn't know what to do. And so I think. Uh, I took this, this, the, 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 the gentle giant, the snake tongs, and kept his, his head. And while Bill, at the same time, tried to uh, untangle the rest of the body, of, of the rest of the cobra from the handlebars, from the oh, handles. And, uh, whew, this, yeah, it's, it's, let's say, let's just say, what's, what's the book called? Not so funny when it happened. It's not something I would <laughs> like to repeat anytime soon. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But it all came out okay in the end. Yeah, something for the grandchildren to, to tell them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh you know, it's great it's a great title for the book too. I like it, you know. Yeah. Kind of gets your attention right away. Do you have uh do you have any intention of another book? Is there another I'm, book in I'm, you? I've been I've been writing a, the my third book since uh I think I started no wait, 2 years ago. Yeah, Christmas 2 years ago. Um somebody Told me once that uh, that actually the Canadian ornithologist he told me that he calls the genre I'm working in uh, funny stuff that happened to me in the woods. And <laughs> <laughs> do you mind if I make a note? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. It's, it's really funny. The, the guy is great, and uh, so I, I can I can only write about what I've actually experienced. I love writing about nature. I like to put it in a funny context. You know, basically, I write for myself. Uh, but yeah. uh, if, if if it makes other people laugh and uh, you know maybe interested in, in these things, that that's that's good too. So um, where while we were in Borneo, we did we did a couple of wildlife watching trips to various places. Um, so I'm putting together a book about three trips that we did to Sri Lanka uh, with with uh, that was basically a herping tour. But were led by Anselm da Silva, which is, I think he's 85 now, and he was 75 at the time. He's the first and foremost 
herpetologist in, in Sri Lanka. Anyway, he's one of those people who have forgotten more about the animals on that island than we can ever learn. You know, it's just incredible. I, I, I have seen his name. Uh, he's, he's described a number of species. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, so, and then we went to, there's uh, another trip. We went to Nepal to Chitman National Park to see tigers and rhinos and uh, crocodiles. Oh, my. And, uh, and then the third trip was to Papua. Uh, that was a strict birding trip with my uncle. And then the family didn't come because they all had something else to do. But, uh, yeah, so there was me 10 years after I had said that uh, birding is for fat middle-aged people spending a shit ton of money to go to <laughs> Papua to see birds of paradise. <laughs> Hey, what goes around? It was, it around, was such man. a great trip. I mean, it's, man, Papua, fantastic. So yeah, that's that's what I'm writing about at the moment. But it's it's really like writing three books because you write about only Borneo, where you've been for nine years, and uh, you don't eventually you don't have to do so much uh, research anymore on history and what have you. But I'm writing about three different countries here, different places. So I think ah. it's going to be take going to take me another five years or something. I've been having. Writer's block and since January, I haven't, I haven't read any, written anything in that book this year. But I'm hoping, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm hoping get more time. Or so. I don't know what it is, but um, anyway, that's the project at the moment. And ah. the tent, the working title is "A Rhino Ate My Begonias." Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, because because when we came to Chitwan National Park. We had come uh, from different places. The kids and my wife had come from, ta from, ta uh, from, from Malaysia. And I had been in Germany at the time. And I came with my uncle uh, from Germany. And we were three days, uh, two days. We arrived two days later than they did. And so I got to the hotel where the, where the family had been already. And uh, I, we were totally jet lagged. And, and I said, I'm going to take a nap. And so three hours later... And the Lisa and the boys that said, oh, we're going to just, you know, walk around town, see what's, what's, what's it like here and what have you. And the three hours later, they came back. And uh, so I said, uh, okay, how was it? And she said, oh, very nice. There are a lot of, you know, souvenir shops here and uh, lots of interesting woodwork. I saw some very pretty scarves. And, oh, yeah, there was a rhino on the main drag. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> a rhinoceros, yeah. Because it's right next to Chitwan National Park, and these rhinoceroses, they, they come out of the park, they cross the river to uh, to help themselves to, to the to, to the produce that they that they farm right outside the city. And once oh. in a while they come into the town, and I have a picture of this rhino eating the begonias of a, a, a planter in front of some house. So hence <laughs> the Yeah, that was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> these things just these titles just come out i mean they're just uh, they're just handed to you right now what's what did walt whitman say these are the days that have to happen to you and <laughs> 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 you know no, that's a kind of title to it um it's it's a it's the kind of catchy title that you it's it's like uh, uh i think lawrence Durrell would be proud of that title Gerald, yeah, yeah, yeah oh Lawrence Durrell was actually his brother the the the, uh, the writer or Gerald I'm sorry Gerald, Gerald yeah. Durrell yeah, yeah that's right that's beg your pardon that's also marketing uh, you know you have to hook him yeah uh, right from the first thing <laughs> <laughs> all right what do I get my I want to put in uh put in my for my copy right now just to, based on the title uh one of the things that I also noticed about when you write uh 
uh, you also put a lot of, you know, like in the Borneo book, you put a lot of depth in there about, you know, the history of Borneo and uh, things that, you know, like the um, the white Raja who comes in and mm. um, sort of unites the country and then uh, turns it all over to British colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind of fill in, backfill some of that. But you also put in a lot of stuff about food. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> well, I'm a big me. fan of, so. <laughs> big fan. Um, no, but but uh, I always thought, I think that's interesting too, and I think people uh, and you know herpers are interested. Uh, not every herper is uh, uh, strictly Ooh. eating out of gas stations. Uh, we do like a good meal once in a while, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know that I'm not of one of those. I'm not one of those Europeans who say Americans have no culture, no no food, but but burgers and hot dogs. You know, I know exactly, especially. Uh, my God, I was when was it? I wasn't in, in in Anaheim a couple of couple of years ago um, for a, a conference on, on video games because I run a translation company on for, for video games. It's my job, uh-huh. um, and uh, that was just fantastic. I mean, Mexican food down there. We every night we were for 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 a week, and every night we went to the concierge down at the hotel and said, "Please get us a taxi." With preferably a Mexican driver, not a Latino driver, a Mexican driver, and we got one every night. And then we got into the car and said to the man, "Please take me, take us to your favorite restaurant." And it was never anything three star, or never ever fancy. You know, it's like working class stuff, blue collar stuff, and it was just incredible food. And yeah, because I think food is is one of the big big joys in life. Why not celebrate it? Because since I have a platform anyway. And a platform where I can describe wonderful edible things to people who have never heard of the Sarawak laksa, you know, and 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 what have you. Uh, why the hell not? It's my prerogative, so I do it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you brought up laksa, and it's like, well, after I read your description of laksa, I'm like, well, I really need to try this. Yeah, yeah, you do. You really, you do. when I when I end up there, whenever I get there, I want to try this. So. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like, of course, when we came back, we bought we brought like. Uh, uh, 10 or 15 packs of, of laksa paste, which is the base for the whole stuff. And I've made it ever, we've been here, we've been back for four years now, but uh, I've, I've, I've tried to make it twi- two or three times a year. And it's never like, I never like over there. I don't know why. It's, hmm. uh, it just doesn't work. So really, you have to go there. And the funny thing is that Sarawak laksa is actually, you don't really get it all over Sarawak, which is a gigantic uh, state. It's, it's actually bigger than West Malaysia. And it's as okay. big as as big as Great Britain, uh, but you only get it in Kuching. So uh, yeah, ah. take note of that. <laughs> so when in Kuching, laksa, hey, absolutely, yeah, for breakfast, for breakfast, for breakfast. Okay, duly noted. One of these days, I'm going to get there. Uh, I have been to uh, Malaysia uh, near uh, KL Kuala Lumpur. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been around that area. I went to Fraser's Hill. Mm-hmm. For a few days, so I have, uh, I have, I have a toe in <laughs> into that culture. I guess yeah. just dip my toe in a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just. It's, I mean, Taiwan. Taiwan has the best, the best and most varied food, Chinese food in the world. Because when uh, Chiang Kai-shek came over here with his soldiers in 1949, most of them eventually, when they retired, they opened restaurants. So when I came here to 1989, oh. uh, there was one street in Taipei City. With nothing but Sichuan restaurants, in one street with nothing but but northern food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These the the old bosses they have died out. The children do something different now, but still, 
it, it has an incredible variety of food. But Malaysia tops this because they also have the Indian food and then the Pakistani food yes. and this and that and whatever. It's like I have a friend who <laughs> a retired U.S. Marine who lives here in Taiwan and he visited me in in in, uh, uh, in, in, in Kuching. And after the third night and after the ninth f- f- food court or something, this is a man who is almost 60 and prides himself like many Marines of his physical prowess. You know, he's got his fit as a fiddle. And he says, he says he's looking down at his, at his, at his uh, b- uh, braised pork soup and he says, he puts down his chopsticks and says to Mians, if I lived here, I'd be one fat motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Malaysia to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I had good food in Taiwan too. I have to say that was oh, that was fun. Yeah, seriously, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm out with Kevin and Bill, and um, I I refer to Kevin and Bill, and I'm quite fond of these guys. I refer to them as gentlemen herpers of leisure. <laughs> Uh, you know, because, you know, we, we, we go up herp and we head up, we're heading up into the mountains and we, we stop and, uh, we stop for lunch at a really nice restaurant and well, we dawdle there for at least an hour and have a, you know, really sumptuous lunch. And, uh, and then, uh, we, uh, stop at, uh, several durian stands along the way and, um, chat with, uh, you know, chat with the, uh, or, um, not just durian, but, uh, not durian, um. Just produce, uh, fruit, uh, peaches and things oh, yeah, like that. Right. Oh, peaches, yeah. So, yeah. you know, we buy some peaches and, you know, have a chat and so on and so forth. And we stop and swim in a mountain stream. And we, we, haven't, we haven't been herping yet, but we're having a really good time, oh, yeah. you know. So yeah. so they, they kind of, I like their approach to it. It's like, well, we, you know, we're going to do these things too because these are fun things to do yeah. uh, along the way. And uh, every meal I had there was was really wonderful and uh yeah. Of course, I, for me, it was things I've never even heard of, and I'm not sure I remember exactly what they were. But uh, mm. it was it was you had to kind of be open minded and uh, say, okay, well, we're going to try this now, and this is going to be something new. Yeah, I mean, there's there's very few things here that uh, could be revolting to Western tongues. You know, like maybe stinky tofu is not everybody's thing; it's mine. Uh, ah. and they have then they have blood pudding, with, which but then again, you have that in Europe too. It's a traditional poor sure. man's steak, you know, and uh, yeah. So, and they, I mean, looking out the window here, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at rice patties and, and or- orchards and what have you. And just two miles down the road, there's a little fishing village with uh, fantastic seafood restaurants. I mean, it, the, the approach to, to uh, outdoors activities, that the, because I'm, Lego, I'm living on the north side of this little mountain range, Yangminshan, which separates Taipei City from the from the northern coast. So I live on the coast. I can see the I can see the ocean from my from my bedroom window, which oh, nice. is a, 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 just one mile down the road. I'm squeezed and pinned between the oceans and the mountains. So people come here uh, bicycling. That's bicycling is a, it's a, cycling is a huge sport in Taiwan, and they go up the hill. Up to two twelve hundred meters, and they go down to Taipei, back into Taipei. Uh, they go hiking here a lot because, as I said, they got tons and tons of mountains here. Hike, hiking is a huge sport here. But unlike in many other countries where where people do a, a marathon or go hiking for two day for a day or whatever, and they come back home, and then they maybe have an energy bar or a, I don't know toast with avocado here. 
the end of every sports session is a giant blowout in some seafood restaurant or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they treat themselves well, you know, and uh, yeah. that Asians in general, and especially Chinese, that everybody is a foodie. It's just incredible. I mean, we go back to Germany twice a year. The only thing, well, I mean, yeah, the cheeses are better there than here because it's it's the culture. But yeah. you go to people's places and, uh, oh, friends that just bought a new house or a new apartment or something, and I guess really nice kitchen, which I really envy because there are a lot of things that I don't have here. And you see that these kitchens are not used because people, ah. uh, you know, the approach to food is just, maybe I've been in, in Asia for too long. I don't know. I wasn't like that when I was 15. You know, it's like uh, roast chicken and then hamburgers were fine for me, basically. Just teen teenager food. But out here, people teach you to enjoy the final uh, cuisine things, yes. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. What else are we here for if not yeah. to have a good time? Yeah, people, people ask me, it's like, why are you so fat? I mean, you've been running around the forest for like 20 years every freaking night. You know, you're up uphill and down dale, and you should be really thin. I said, dude, I live in Taiwan. You know, I come back <laughs> at three in the morning, and before I go home, I stop by the next sticky tofu stall, which is like, uh, you know, pretty much southern food. If it ain't fried, it ain't food. You know, that's ah. the, how the food, the the, the 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 road stalls work here. So there's something to eat twenty twenty four seven, and uh, yeah, sometimes you can't say no to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well i hear that I, know, I understand that completely well i i have to tell you it's been a pleasure to to talk to you and get to know you and yes, uh, i feel like i've Wonderful. i feel like Thank i've known you, you for a long time but i i enjoy um i uh, of course we're friends on social media and you've all you're always posting all this funny stuff that uh i have to tell you i really appreciate uh, i always put a smile Thank on my you. face and uh uh, I appreciate a man with a sense of humor, and uh, you certainly have one. Well, thank you. Yeah, I just, we aim to please. <clears throat> you aim to please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that sign. My grandmother had that sign. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I, 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 it's been great just to sort of talk to you. And uh, uh, once again, I want to name these books because I, if you don't have these books in your library, people – uh, are you even really a herper? So the names of the books, the first one, of course, is is from, uh, I got my notes here, so I make sure I say it right. The first one is from uh, 2012, and that is A Cobra Hijacked My Camera Bag. And then we have the tw just this year, 2023, A Greenhorn Naturalist in Borneo. And uh, they're fabulous books, and uh, I am looking forward already to A Rhino Ate My Begonias. Oh. Uh, Whenever, that, okay. whenever that comes out, so. I'll, I'll make I'll make sure to uh, to to uh, kind of conquer my 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 what do you call that the write ups block. Yeah. Oh well, you know I'll everybody's allowed some time to to uh, um, not write. You know. Yeah, I guess. Right. Well, you'll, you'll pick it up again. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. That was a great conversation. I enjoyed that very much. And yeah, thank also, you. I've been. Very glad for the chance to actually meet you face to face, and uh, yeah, I would love to come back to Taiwan again. I I, I would just so it's still one of my favorite trips I've ever done. Hmm. So yeah, there's uh, other things. Are you into sea turtles? I just learned the other day that we have an island here, which is one of the best turtling places in the world. And uh, what? Yeah, interesting. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> if I if I can swing the opportunity, I will. I'll give you a I'll give you a holler and uh, it'd be great to Please hang do. out and uh, I take you around, show you other restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Hans. I really Thank appreciate you. it, and uh, uh, let you get back to the rest of your day. All right. Thank you, Mike. Bye bye. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, holy cats, I really had fun talking to Hans. Uh, you know, I have a lot of her books on my shelves, uh, like many of you, and I like talking about them, but it's a real pleasure to talk about and promote great her books like uh, Camera Bag and uh, A Greenhorn Naturalist. So uh, check them out, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. And I, I think I would love to uh, add her books as a regular topic of discussion in the episode rotation. So we'll see what we can do about that. Uh, thank you again, Hans. And as always, thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for episode 91. Thanks again to Hans Breuer for coming on the show and uh, thoroughly entertaining me. Uh, you have fanned the flames, Hans, and uh, now I can't wait to get back to Taiwan. Thanks once again to everyone out there who supports the show. And uh, as always, I want to say thanks to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help out, it's really easy to do. It costs about as much as a cup of delicious coffee. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just uh, drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much pingle.com. And you can join the so much pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. Now I say it every time, but I do like hearing from folks. I like to hear your thoughts and opinions, your guest suggestions and Whatever it is you got, you can email me at somuchpingle at gmail.com. And so much pingle, of course, is always one word. And please note that I am on Instagram, Mastodon, and Blue Sky now, all under the So Much Pingle handle, really expanding the empire this year. Uh, and until we meet again, uh, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>